Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner show, we answer your money questions. If you want to have your question answered, email us askpete at petetheplanner.com, askpete at petetheplanner.com, or just call the phone number A-S-K-P-E-T-E at PeteThePlanner.com. Joining me as always at this point is Damian Dunn, actually at the uh, Central Studio here. Dame, welcome back to the program. For better or worse, here I am again. Yes. Later in the show, one of your uh, teammates will join and step in for you to answer a delightful question. Kristen from Your Moneyline team will be here, uh, her radio debut, so I'm very excited about that. She's going to do great. Of course she will. Uh, Dame, this week's first question is from Diana, 708 uh, area code. Do you happen to know where that is off the top of your head? I do not. Excellent. Hello, exclamation point. Hmm. I'm hoping you will consider addressing this question on a coming podcast or blog post. Please let me know if you do. I'm a huge fan of yours. You know, yours can be used in a plural sense, too, so she might mean you, too. I doubt it. We have three children, ages eight, six, and one. Hmm. The two oldest children each have an individual 529 plan, Bright Star, Illinois. So, you know what I'm thinking? 708's in Illinois. Could be. Context clues. The third child still has nothing and arguably can't even read. I added that part. Yeah. Do you recommend we open a third 529 account for the third child or contribute more to one or uh, one of the other existing accounts and then change the beneficiary on that account from the oldest to youngest child, for example, when needed? Thanks for considering. Once again, love the show, Diana. Diana, some of the criticism levied on this show involved that we could get the information in people's ears in a much more expedient fashion than we do because of times when I get off track and make silly <laughs> jokes and tell stories about how slow I get information out. But here's the thing. I love this show because this is who I am. Dame, you've had conversations with me for years now. This is every conversation. Yeah, there, there's not a uh, necessarily a straight and direct path to the answer. There is not. And it is entertainment. Mm. It is... Hun- not 100% entertainment. It's, what, what would you say? It's uh, That's you know, a good question. How much info, how much tainment? Yeah. Infotainment. Exactly. Edutainer. I, I don't even want to... It's probably not something that we should dwell on too much. So what's your thing uh, with, with 529s? I am in the one account per child sort of mindset. You? T- typically, I am there as well. However, this case I feel might be a bit unique. Uh, since there is a, a a bit of an age gap between that second and third child, I think you might be able to get away with as long as you're you know consistently funding those those accounts, you might be able to get away with just two and then change the beneficiary on the accounts uh, to the to the third child. It just occurred to me we we should probably rewind a half step and say a five twenty nine essentially is a college savings plan uh, akin to a four hundred one k. Uh, but for college savings, and you don't necessarily do it through your employer, you do it on your own. So, Dame, let's do this. Per your point, let's go through the pros and cons of having multiple accounts uh, for multiple children versus 
uh, you know, fewer accounts than you have children. So uh, what are the advantages of having fewer accounts? So they've got three kids. You're saying they could possibly get away with two 529s. What would be the benefit of doing that? I think the uh, benefit, the, the one that jumps out at me is just a little bit more organization, uh, fewer accounts to have to keep track of. However, Helen falls a little bit short because there's not a lot of activity going on. It's basically you just keep chucking money at them and let them do their thing. You can tweak the portfolio a little bit if you want, but I think most people usually use target date type portfolios inside of 529s. You're about to talk yourself into the other camp, aren't you? I very easily could yeah. because, it, I, like I said, typically I'm in the one account per child because they're free, first of all. They, yeah. they don't cost you anything. There's uh, th At least that I know of, there's no maintenance fees that go along with 529s. Some states plans. used to have maintenance fees, but that was years ago. I, I, I can't imagine they still have like a $10 or $15 a year maintenance fee. Yeah. So I, you know, if, if they're free and they're easy to manage and they only take, you know, five or 10 minutes to set up, depending on, <laughs> you've made it all the way back. I know I, I'm going to try and I'm going to try and run right past the stop sign and go come back to where I'm, I'm at. What's it, what's it feel like to be me today, Dame? Not as good as I'd hoped. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's a horrible thing. I'm like, here's a hot take. And then, Oh, you know, I actually agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it usually goes. Here's why I think uh, two main reasons why I think everyone should have their own account. Let's say that the eight and six year old, let's say you take the eight year olds and you share it with the one year old. They have different time horizons. Mm -hmm. So the money would be invested differently. Mm -hmm. The best way to get the one year old with the proper amount of growth is to invest that money more aggressively than you would for the eight year old who when the eight year old is 16, the other kid will be nine. And so Dame, I, they got to have different uh, uh, investment strategies given the gap in their ages. You know, I think you may be right. Occasionally I'm all right. I mean, I built this company on being right. Now, since I've done that, I've been wrong a lot. But I feel like this was right. Yeah, I, you know, I, yes. Yeah, you know, I, you, one of your arguments was it's it's less confusing to have fewer accounts. But wouldn't it be uh, less confusing to have an account per person so you don't have to sort through whose is what's? Yeah, but you got to make fewer. Uh, individual contributions to that, different that's accounts. That's true. Absolutely true. Make sure that everybody gets their deposit each year, their contributions. If, if you are, are of the, the family type that just does one big contribution year instead of maybe monthly contributions, um, make sure they're done and they're done on time because I can speak from exa personal experience. We missed the cutoff one year. We, we thought we did it and uh, we didn't. And so we, we didn't get that tax advantage in the state of Indiana. Illinois also offers a tax advantage as well. Uh, it's an aggregate, not on individual uh, accounts. So it doesn't matter if you have one, two, five. It doesn't matter. It's just a total dollar amount. How about so, three or four? You know, who does three or four? Here's a, I have a tip. So please share. So here's the tip. Uh, if you are worried about being disorganized, that you have to make three different deposits and three different accounts for the course of the month, and it sort of strains your budget and your cash flow and expensing, just make them all the same day. Because oftentimes what happens is you have one kid and the, the deposit into the account is on the 15th. Then you have another kid and when you come to think to set it up, it's on the 23rd. So then you set theirs up on the 23rd. And then seven years later on date night, you have another kid. And, and so then this kid's here and you don't know what's going on because the other kids are so loud. And so you're like, oh, I'll just set it up for the third of the month. 
And then now it's just money's coming all the time. It's just a pain in the neck. So, Dame, you are exactly right. This idea that uh, sometimes the more withdrawals coming out of your account, it just adds to the chaos. So that's why I think you just do them all in the same day. And, and there you go. I, I think we came around to agreeing with each other. No, I agreed with myself the whole time. Oh. You came around agreeing with me. Well, I didn't fine. come around for any, but I, you know, I did give you a point. So maybe we did come around. Now I'm agreeing that we came around. To... So, so maybe we'll score this. Uh, Pete wins the round 10 to nine. Sure. Uh, Dame, I think this is a great question because it's always the second or third kid when you, when all of the chaos sort of subsides because with the first kid, you don't know what's really going on. Everything is a new experience. And it's sometimes on the second or third kids, you make clearer financial decisions because there is less chaos. And so this is a great question, uh, Diana. And, and I can tell that they're thinking more clearly now, you know? Does that make oh, sense? Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, either they're thinking more clearly or they have just gotten over the... Uh exuberance of, of that first child and, and now everything's just kind of leveling out. That's where it's like the third kid. You're like, I hey, just go play with the alligator. I don't care. Exactly. All right, Dame, coming up after the break, uh, more of the show. Uh, we're going to make it to a second segment. Actually, Kristen from our team will be joining us. Her, her radio debut to answer your money questions. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. More of the show next. I'm Pete the Planner. Back on the Pete the Planner show. You know, we've been saying it for a while. We need to give Damien a little break. Co-host Damien, he's always here answering questions, answering the questions of the tens of thousands of people we serve here at Your Money Line. And more importantly, we want to give other people a chance. So we went to our financial concierge team and we grabbed one of our concierge members. Her name is Kristen Alanius. She is a person that solves financial problems for a living and she does it for us. And she joins us now. Kristen, welcome to your radio debut. Thank you, Pete. I'm super excited to be here. Are you excited because maybe like what you could replace Dame? You know, that's really, don't tell him, but that's what I'm hoping to do. Same. All right, here's the question this week. It's hand-selected for you. And by hand-selected, I just grabbed the next question that came in. I forwarded it to you. And, and so this is your question. Uh, hi, I found, I'm going to read, you know, here, here's a, if you've never listened to the show before, not you, Kristen, because you have to. But for the, for those listening out there, and this is the first time they're listening, I'm going to read the email that comes in. People email us at askpete at petetheplanner.com, askpete at petetheplanner.com. And I'm just going to read what you write. So if you misspell something or if you miss a word, <laughs> that's on you. Uh, hi, I found an article on this searching through Google. I've been running numbers and doing personal research. First of all, Kristen, there was no salutation on this and it just sort of bothered <laughs> No good days. No, yeah, you're right. Good day. Or hi, Pete. Or Damien's funny too. Even, you know, <laughs> currently I'm 27, no school loans, on the job union training. I've been a lineman for four years. Now I'm going to hit another timeout here, Kristen. There's two possibilities when someone says they're a lineman. Do you know what those two possibilities are? You know, I'm going to go with someone who works on power lines and uh, someone who plays a professional sport, football. See, there you go. This is why you get paid the big bucks, because you I know do. these things. 
That's true. So lineman means you work on power lines. Currently, I'm topped out for uh, money uh, from an hourly perspective. I'll make approximately 100 to uh, 140 to 150,000 American dollars this year, which also includes 400 to 500 hours of overtime with an accelerated 401k plan. Kristen, we just got a tremendous amount of information. Let me just, let's start here. Kristen, this is a 27-year-old man making $140,000 to $150,000 a year. Yeah, that's a lot, especially depending on where he's at in his stage of life. I mean, if he's a single 27-year-old living in, you know, the Midwest or the Plains making $140,000 a year, he's really, he's really raking it in. That's an attractive profile. of Like I'm, I'm thinking I could, I'm available, right? Like <laughs> what does that guy put on a social media, like a dating site? Like how do you let people know that? Or do you keep that secret so that people don't want you for your stability? I'm going to go with the latter. I'm thinking that he totally downplays this. Yeah. It seems like this sort of four to 500 hours of overtime. I did some math. Uh, that's about eight to 10 hours of overtime a week. So, uh, Two ish hour to of hour time a day, two hours of overtime per day. Yeah, that's a that's, lot, isn't it? That's a lot. I on average, he's at least doing. That's what I had about eight hours of overtime a week. So either a Saturday or he's doing, you know, a couple hours every day. That's a lot. He did say one other thing before we get to his actual question. He said he has an accelerated four hundred one k plan. Chris, I've been doing this a very long time, as you can see by my receding hairline. I have no idea what that means. Do you know what that means? I do not know what that means, Pete. You know who else doesn't know what that means? Google. We, we both Googled accelerated 401k plan. We went to the rest of our colleagues and we're like, does anyone know what this is? And so th- this person either understands these things way more than us and Google, or it doesn't mean anything. You never know. Uh, recently, I've been offered another job with a much smaller 401k match, but... 30 years of service will provide a 75% pension. Of that, 11% of your salary you're paying into the pension fund. And I'm not sure what that means. This job is also $5 an hour less. How, uh, however, it is a better hours and much closer to my house. I'm going to pickle. Uh, should I go for more money now or less money now when there's a pension down the road? Thanks for reading. I hope to hear from you. Ryan. All right, you get the first swing at this thing. What, how do you even begin when someone calls or emails with this sort of question to you at your money line? How do you begin to break something like this down? I think I want to know truly why he's considering this other offer. Did he seek out the offer? Is he applying other places because he's burnt out working you know, at least eight hours of overtime a week? Or did somebody find him and make him this offer? And you know, what part of it's attractive to you? Is it the pension? Is it the better hours, really what's the thing that's going to push you to choose this second option? Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I, It's funny how financial questions don't actually end up being about money most of the time. No. Because I think this is a lifestyle question to your point. I, I think this ends up being about living closer to where you work and, and it ends up being maybe not working second or third shift or weekends. And maybe he doesn't like four to 500 hours of overtime. You know, we've gotten to this point in our culture where overtime, like that's attractive, but Kristen, it's fair to not like overtime, isn't it? Absolutely. And eventually he's going to burn himself out. Maybe he's not there now, but he can't work for the next 30 years at an average of eight hours of OT a week. It's just not sustainable. 
I agree. So, I mean, $5 less a week at 20 or 40 hours a week. What's the math on that? $200 less per week if you don't include overtime. Uh, and then what do we say? Another 10 hours of overtime. So that'd be seven. I mean, uh, let's, let's call it at the most $300 less per week. Right. Or so if you look... If you look at it from an hourly perspective, we're talking maybe a difference in 50-ish dollars an hour to 45-ish dollars an hour. Did he say whether he can get that salary to go up again? He's already tapped out at where he's at now though, right? That's what he says. And that's another thing too. If, you know, maybe the upward mobility or the potential to move forward or to progress from a you know, salary perspective is attractive and maybe he doesn't like being topped out at 27. You know, maybe this could be the classic Leonard Skinner situation. One step forward, two steps back, right? Is that, I'm not, a, is that a thing? Uh, to be honest, Pete, I, I don't know. <laughs> this is where our age gap again is Sorry. not great. No. <laughs> You're so much older than I am. And so you don't get my younger references, right? I, I don't, I don't, I can't keep up with the cool kid lingo these days. Uh, it is worth mentioning that you're at studio or Southwest studio. Yes. Uh, experiencing hundred degree weather today. So I don't feel bad about that. All right. If this were you, now we're talking about you taking a different job. So I'm not so sure I like this tact, but if this were you, do you think it's worth a step back with a little bit more long-term security with the idea that your near future income could surpass what you're earning now? I think that, if I'm guessing, it's the pension that makes this offer attractive, but I personally wouldn't bank on a pension being around 30 years from now. That's just me as a person. So I think that if I were him, what I would probably do is if I am starting to feel a little burnout, continue doing what I'm doing because it sounds like or it seems like it should be paying the bills just fine. And then maybe look for something that more closely mirrors what I have now. I, I think that's what I would do if I were him. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of pensions, but we, you, know, you and I, you know, our organization, we work with utility companies and we talk to guys like this all the time. And pensions, there's no reason to think that it's always going to be there. Right. right. It's great that it's there now, but they could freeze it five years from now and then his decisions messed up. So I, I'm going to go here. I'm going to say, I don't think this is a financial decision whatsoever. I think they will end up equaling each other when it's all said and done. And I think he tries to make a lifestyle decision. So I guess we can leave it at that. Kristen, your radio debut, debut went swimmingly other than not understanding my Leonard Skinner reference. So good Thank job. you very much, Pete. All right. Coming up after the break, more of the Pete the Planner show. I'm your host, Pete the Planner. And next, uh, more of me. Back on the Pete the Planner show, Dame. How about that, Kristen? Man, I, I'm glad she works for us. Uh, I know. You ever think that? Like uh, some of our coworkers, are like, man, if they work for the other people, we we could be in trouble. Yeah. Let's make sure we keep them happy. Absolutely. All right, Dame. Uh, this question comes from Mark. Pete. Actually, there was just wow. a comma. 
Okay. I added the exuberance. Last week, I borrowed $50,000 from my home equity line of credit. In the biz, they call it a HELOC. Yeah. To invest in a startup business, how much, if any, of the $50,000 can I use towards my power percentage? The HELOC has a fixed 6.55% APR. Many thanks. Mark, okay, man, there is, for such a short question... There's a lot of things we need to cover. Absolutely. Let's first agree to cover power percentage here in a little bit. And and for those that don't know, maybe first time listening to the show, power percentage is a metric that we use to help you understand how efficient you are with your income. We will get there, but there's a lot more to unpack part of that. Dame, what do you want to take a stab at first that's not necessarily power percentage driven? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, should we address the use of a HELOC to start a startup business? Yes, but I I have a question about that. Okay. That I want to see if you read slash heard the question the same way. I'm going to read the first sentence again. Last week, I borrowed $50,000 from my home equity line of credit to invest in a startup mm. business. He did not say to start You're right. a business. So the question is, is he just simply investing in someone else's business or is he personally starting the business? That's a great question. Because the term startup is a thing now. Mm -hmm. It used to not be a thing. You just started a business and it was small and you had a small business. Now you got a startup, which means you buy t-shirts and and hoodies. That's right. What What do you think? We're guessing. I want to know what the Instagram account is to make sure I can follow that. You think I would I would silence the computer that comes into the track we're playing so that we don't get sounds on the radio? I don't think anybody expects that, Pete. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, man, that's so true. So let's, let's begin there. Borrowing money against your house to leverage that money in something else. Let's say it was the stock market. Dame, is it a good idea to take $50,000 of equity out of your home and invest it in the stock market? No. 100% no? Hey, listen, I no. No, there, it's, it's not a good idea. I've got, you hear all these little anecdotal stories and, and uh, urban legends. My, my um, econ advisor in college would, would tell us about a guy who... Uh, used convenience checks out of uh, the the bills that you get for your credit cards. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he he um, wrote them out to cash to himself and put it into like Sun Microsystems when it was super cheap and ended up making a million dollars out of he it. He told you this story? He told us this in the middle that, of class. That is reckless. I know. And this is uh, this would have been pre-dot-com bubble, all that other stuff. So you, you've got all these college kids who are just thinking, what? well, clearly this is how I go make a million dollars. And we've all got, you know, the the uh, the credit cards that you get on campus and get a, a can of Mountain Dew to go along with it and a T-shirt. And so who knows how many kids end up writing. Man, that's terrible. It is terrible. So needless to say, we are not big fans of taking money out of your home to invest in the stock market or, or risky investments. How about, Dame, let's, let's attack this two different ways. Number one, how do you view this as it relates to uh, a startup that you start. It's still a risky, it's still a risky investment. But it's now. not a hundred percent. No. 
I've pumped money into our business. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Not out of my home equity. See? But I would do it if I had to. I don't know. Man, you're leveraging the place where your family lives. For the employment of a number of people? You know, I, I again, I haven't done it, but it's like one of those things where we're an established business that's been around for a long time, but if I needed like a line of credit, I would, you know, go get a business one through the bank. But if that didn't work, I would do it through the house, maybe. But a startup is a little different. I would argue that you have a better chance of success at taking that money and putting it in the stock market than you do the average startup business. But I wonder if he means startup like he means startup. Like startup, a lot of times means a tech company. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I'm buying lawnmowers and I'm starting a lawnmower business, you know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we see the state that he's that he lives in. That doesn't scream tech startup to me. Oh, I didn't see the state that he lives in. Did you send that? Yeah, it's right underneath his name. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Think Maybe. So? How would you know? I, you know, I don't. I'm just saying it doesn't. That I wouldn't normally make that jump for a tech startup in that state. Okay, so th there are a couple issues here. Number one, borrowing money from your house to start a business. I don't, I don't, maybe I view it, I don't have a huge problem with it as long as he totally understands the risk. Where I would have a problem, actually, is if he was investing in someone else's startup as a silent partner or something like that. Then I would be very worried. Sure, you've got as little of control as you have um, trying to you know, figure out how your business is going to work. If you're the one running it, you at least control your hustle and your effort. If you're a silent partner in somebody else's business, man, you're just along for the ride. And we recently, we uh, were hiring a new person here uh, at uh, a, a new job role opening up. Things are going well, we're growing. And anytime you hire someone as a business owner, you look at the pool of money that is going to pay for that person and you remove it from profit, you remove it from other operations, and it even affects things like year-end bonuses for everyone because in, until the person gets up to speed and is able to help generate more revenue, they are overhead, right? And so when you're a business owner, as, as you uh, are and mm -hmm. ha have been, you look at that and, and it's easier when you're in control when it's someone else making those decisions about your money. I don't like that. But let's get to the question at hand. The question is, how does that affect his power percentage? Dame, it doesn't at all, in my opinion. Power percentage is how efficient you are with your income. So what you do is you add up how much you're depositing into your retirement account on a monthly basis, cash-wise, how much your employer is putting in your retirement account on a monthly basis, how much you're putting into other investments or savings accounts on a regular basis, how much debt you pay down on a monthly basis, how much of your mortgage principal is paid down on a monthly basis. You add all of those things up. And by the way, when it comes to debt, you cannot include transportation payments like car payments. You cannot include credit cards that you pay off at the end of each month because you're trying to earn points to get a good George Foreman grill. You can only account for the debt you're paying down that is trying to get rid of a balance. You add all those things up and you divide by your gross monthly income pre-tax, pre-benefit income. So Dame, let's say you have $1,000 of all those healthy activities I just said a month and your income is $5,000 a month. You go 1,000 divided by 5,000 and that is 20%. Your power percentage would be 20%. 10% or less, if your power percentage is 10% or less, that is bad. That is very bad. 11 to 20%, it's okay. 
21 to 34% is good, and 35% and above is great. It means you're very efficient with your money. But since he's borrowing money, it does not affect his power percentage. The $50,000 doesn't matter. Arguably, what you could say is the payments he's paying back to make the power percentage, uh, it could make the power percentage go up. But I think this is a balance sheet move. Mm -hmm. He's taking a, uh, an asset, which is equity, and he's transferring that money to a business. And now he has equity in that business. I think it is 100% not included. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the other way you could potentially look at it is uh, that was income for that month. And so unless anything else changed outside of that, uh, his power percentage got really, really small that month. Yeah, I, I would encourage a couple things. Number one, anytime you're calculating power percentages, balances have nothing to do with anything. Mm -hmm. If you're like, well, my, my account balance is, just shush yourself because it doesn't matter. Number two, if you want to learn more about power percentage, go to episode 120 of this here very podcast. That was a long time ago. We're like on 300 and... I won't be on it. Damien wasn't even on it, so it's real good. Be sure to listen to that, episode 120. Or just Google Pete the Planner and Power Percentage and you will learn more. Dame, coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and some current events right here on the Pete the Planner Show. Damien Dunn in studio. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week right here on the Pete the Planner Show, the Boam, as we call it in the biz name, mm. is the LG 88-inch Z9 8K OLED TV. The world's first 8K OLED TV, the 88-inch 88Z9 from LG, is a room-dominating display to drive all those pixels, four times the resolution of 4K, LG is leaning on a deep learning algorithm to power the Alpha 9 Gen 2 chip inside. Man, nerds are terrible. Just show me the TV show. It can automatically recognize incoming content quality and pick the best way to upscale it, oh. adjust the tone mapping curve, and even refine Dolby Vision content for ambient conditions to optimize the picture. None of these things mean anything. <laughs> I mean, no how, one, none of that is was, anything. How is Caillou going to look on my screen? That's, that's yeah. I'm just trying to watch SWAT. Yeah, that's my that's, that's my guilty pleasure right now. <laughs> it's got Shamar Moore. You know who Shamar Moore is? Yeah, he, he used to yeah. be in soap operas and stuff. Isn't he on? Um, he's he was on, on a TV show. He was on uh, not soap, but it was, uh, I mean, one of the the crime shows on yeah. the evening. I don't know. He's on the SWAT show, Criminal Minds. Maybe I don't know. He's really handsome. Yeah. Very attractive. I'm pretty sure we're talking about the same guy. He has his shirt off in every episode, and I always, I, mm -hmm. I like, I'll watch, and I'll take my shirt off and see if, and it, we don't look alike. Anyway, the set also supports HDMI 2.1 and Dolby Atoms with virtual 5.1 sound, has Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa built in, supports Apple AirPlay 2 and HomeKit, and sits on top of a sleek open stand. Okay, Dame, an 88-inch TV with 8K. With a bunch of things that aren't a thing, how much do you think that costs? Uh, I recently bought a fifty-inch TV for four hundred dollars, just for some. It didn't have any of these things, but no. I don't even know. Yeah, I can I, still see Shamar shirtless. That's true, but <laughs> uh, back to the price of the TV. Let's say it's uh, <laughs> five grand. 
No, you are sorely mistaken. I can't tell if you just threw that out there to like make it seem compelling that oh, I can't even guess. So I'm going to just say five grand. Or is that a real guess? I was going to say six. Okay. Well, you're wrong. It's $29,999. Shamar has never looked so good. Uh, can you imagine him in 8K? Wow. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be even more depressing. 1K per ab. <laughs> <laughs> Do you just laugh at me? Don't tell anybody. Wait. So Don't earlier in the show, you said I was right. And then you just laughed at me. It's my downfall. You think there might be a bonus on the line with this? You show. would think so. It's like, man, I really got to see if he's into this. Um, here's what I don't understand. How, and I ask this question a lot during Blom. How much money does a person have to have mm-hmm. to buy a $30,000 television? Would he? I mean, you, at this point, you're a multi, multi millionaire. At least $10 million. Oh, yeah. At least. This has pro athlete written all over it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know who likes uh, all of these uh, ways to upscale and tone map curves and refine Dolby Vision content for ambient conditions? Pro athletes. Pro athletes. Probably wide receivers. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Dame, this week in current events, Hasbro takes on the gender pay gap with new Ms. Monopoly game. Uh, So in the game, women, it's Monopoly, right? But it's called Ms. Monopoly, like Ms. Pac-Man. Uh, In the game, women get a head start. Female players receive $1,900 in Monopoly money at the beginning of the game compared to $1,500 for each male player, USA Today reports. Women also receive $240 each time they pass go on the board, while men get $200. Dame, what do you think? Nothing says equality like not being equal. Oh, man. I, I just wanted to get your thoughts. I don't have any. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a board game. It is a board game. I guess. What does it really matter? Exactly. But that's weird, right? It's just. I, I can't say I disagree with it or anything like that. I, I'm just trying to get my head around it. That's a. You're you're sitting down for a family game, with with your your beautiful family, and. Uh, all of a sudden, you start serving your son some money to start the game, mm-hmm. and then your wife and your daughter. And then is the game about you having a gender pay gap conversation with your daughter and your wife? Is that what it's about? It's not what family fun time is intended to be in my household. Is About social issues? Yeah. But by the way, and I'm not being dismissive of the pay gap. Let me just say, the pay gap is real, and it stinks. I'm questioning the game. <laughs> This is about the game. The pay gap is horrific. And as an organization here, we, we are very sensitive to that. We do, we do compensation studies to make sure we are not a part of the problem. However, this game is... I, it bothers me a little bit. Does Hasbro suggest letting uh, playing a, a game of kickball and letting the girls start on second base? I don't know. I'm just curious. That's a game. Apple has a new iPhone coming out. It's cheaper for women. I'm just kidding. See, that's what it would be, right? <laughs> Apple has a new iPhone coming out. The iPhone 11 starts at $699. Mm-hmm. The phone it's replacing, the iPhone XR, costs at least $749. So some people are saying the best part about iPhone 11 is the price. Do you remember when the first iPhone came out? Yeah, I I, I do, and I... I probably thought it was a bit of a fad or a gimmick, to be honest with you. That but, internet will never last. No, I, well, I probably, it, what was competitor? It would be interesting to see what the other popular phones were at the time. Was it Palm like, Pilot is basically what it replaced. Yeah. 
Yeah, I stood in line. Did you for the iPhone? Yeah, because my friend Chip, who knows everything, yeah. told me to. He still tells me what to do, and I list everything he says to do technology-wise. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do it because he's always right. Chip, thank you for the computer that I have sitting in front of me. So let's can we get kind of serious for a moment? Sure. I'm reading a book right now about September 11th called "The Only Plane in the Sky," that something was, like that. That was a quick change. It was a quick change, but there's a point. Okay. And the premise of the book is it takes a, different people's accounts of September 11th and. I mean, hundreds of accounts from the presidents to, you know, the wife of a janitor who was in mm-hmm. like the South Tower. Fascinating book. And I started reading it on September 11th this week. It's just a way to really force myself to to feel, you know, to feel it. The further away we get from September 11th, the, I don't know, the easier it is to try to just repress those feelings. But I, I felt like this year I wanted to dig into it. So anyway, I'm reading this book. And you quickly realize how different that experience is if things like iPhones existed. Now, this is a weird path because a lot of the, the communication going on from the hijacked planes was with the air phones that used to be in the back mm-hmm. of the seat. Yeah. Uh, just really strange things. People didn't know what was going on, whereas on a plane now you could get on Wi-Fi and mm-hmm. in real time on Twitter, yeah. you see what's going on. Um, even air traffic control and communic- communicating with the White House and I mean, it is, it is fascinating in now 18 years how much technology has even changed things like emergencies. You see uh, school shootings and you see mass shootings, uh, horrible things. But those events are now defined by how quickly and how much we know about them, besides the horrible acts themselves. Man, the show really took a turn. But it is show that I, I do think, outside of humor and money, from time to time. Yeah, I, I'm not going to comment. I'm just going to uh, let that one be. The Big Short, uh, which was a great book by Michael Lewis, uh, details the subprime meltdown, the C- subprime CDO, collateralized uh, debt. debt obligations, right? Yep. Uh, it was a great book, great movie, actually. And The Big Short's main figure is this guy named Michael Burry, and he feels like he has just identified the next great bubble, and that are index funds. So there, with very little time left on the show, there are two types of investments when it comes to, well, there's, there's uh, actively managed funds, and then there's passive funds or index funds, where actively managed funds, people try to buy and sell to, to make things happen. Passive or index funds, you just hold. Mm-hmm. You, just, you have a, you know, a basket of, of stocks and equities and bonds and things, and you just hold it. Uh, and the feeling from this, well, financial genius is that the nature of everyone flowing towards index funds is in itself creating a bubble and it could cause huge, huge ramifications. So anyway, Michael Burry, B-U-R-R-Y, if you want to read that article, I encourage you to find it. It's on Bloomberg and it is terrifying. Dame, all over the place. Yeah, that was fun. All right. Hey, thanks for listening this week. Send you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this was, well, it was one heck of a show. And